The calendar has officially turned to July, so we are officially halfway through 2020. Crazy to think, right? It's been such a crazy, chaotic, hectic year. And while we're only halfway through this calendar year, it's officially a new year in the Big East. And with this new year comes a new but familiar face. After seven long years, the University of Connecticut, a charter member of the Big East back in 1979, is finally back home officially. Welcome inside the igloo, and that is how we start the show. Good to have you back. I'm Timmy Ice, and listen, I grew up an hour from the Carrier Dome. I've seen plenty of some great games between Syracuse and UConn growing up. I remember seeing Rudy Gay in the Dome. For one, at least, I remember, you know, Hashim Tabit, Kemba Walker, Andre Drummond, Ben Gordon, Emeka Okafor. List goes on and on. But UConn parted ways with the Big East when the old Big East disbanded in 2013, as documented in a tremendous 30 for 30 documentary done by ESPN, directed by Ezra Edelman, Requiem for the Big East. Man, UConn with football being their biggest money sport, obviously football generates significantly more money than basketball in the NCAA. Financially, football was more of a priority for UConn at the time, and so they went where the money was. And with no football in the Big East, they left for what I call the ugly stepchild of the Big East, which is the monstrosity known as the American Athletic Conference. And I'm not trying to say like it's a shit league or or anything. But it's just a clusterfuck, man. It's very hard for me to take that league credibly. A, because of how it was conceived in the first place. And B, what it became. I mean, for crying out loud, Navy is a football-only member of the AAC. Wichita State is a basketball-only member of of the AAC. Well, well, I'm pretty sure there are members of the AAC for every other sport because I know Wichita State is known for like you know baseball and a lot of other team sports, and they just don't have football. At least FBS football, from my knowledge. But Wichita State only left for the AAC for basketball reasons, because. 
the AAC, you know, compared to the Missouri Valley, usually sends more teams to the NCAA tournament. And while that, in principle, is statistically correct, it's stupid to have a team in Wichita, Kansas, playing, you know, <laughs> I mean, Tulsa, okay, but Tulane? Please. And I think finally, it, it took so long for UConn to finally realize that being a part of the AAC was doing them absolutely no good. I mean, they literally tried to create a rivalry in football out of nothing, out of thin air. Like abracadabra, civil conflict between them and Central Florida. Look how that turned out. Turned into a laughing stock of a rivalry because UCF would kick their sorry asses every year on the gridiron. Charge on, by the way. But finally, UConn finally figured it out. That their best sport has been and always will be basketball. With women's basketball, it's obvious. But men's basketball... And credit the legendary Jim Calhoun for it has been their best men's sports program all around. Baseball's had great success, I will say that. But not to the extent that UConn men's basketball has had thanks to the Big East and thanks to Jim Calhoun. Under Calhoun, three national championships... Kevin Ollie won another in 2014. But, again, ever since moving to the AAC, yes, their first year in the AAC, they won the national championship. But just think about, like, in basketball, they had no real rivals in AAC basketball. Seriously. Sure as hell nothing regional. And nothing historical. The best rivalry that you, I guess you could say they had was their closest rival, which was Temple. Which they really didn't have much history with anyway. Like, who else can you make the argument? South Florida... I, I think the people at UConn finally realized that for basketball, they needed to elevate their status and make their program more attractive, especially with a coach like Danny Hurley. They needed to make it more attractive by being in a conference that has more attractive teams and more potential to make it to the NCAA tournament. And that's obviously in the Big East. Because the AAC does not send many teams to the NCAA tournament. As a matter of fact, in my bracket that I had, only two made it this year. Houston and Cincinnati. And if anything, like, now I think about it, UConn might have only had like a somewhat of a decent rivalry with Cincinnati. Dating back to, you know, when Cincinnati joined the Big East in 2005. But even then... Not really, and the only reason why they even had any 
things serious, kind of, was because they met in the second round of the tournament back in 2011. That was during the whole cardiac Kemba run en route to Jim Calhoun's third national title as head coach of the Huskies. And, you know, if you're a recruit and you're looking at UConn and you're looking at the competition that you're going to have to play in your conference, like some of them might stand out like, okay, Memphis, all right, Houston, Cincinnati, okay. But, oh, and Wichita State too. But are you going to really be jazzed up if you're on UConn and you're like, oh boy, we got to go to play Tulane today. Fuck no. Like, are you going to be jazzed up to play, I don't know, team like UCF or Tulsa or East Carolina? Actually, like, East Carolina is the biggest example of this. East Carolina will do nothing good for you. For a team like UConn that wants to be in the NCAA tournament conversation year in and year out and want to make the tournament year in and year out like they did under Jim Calhoun in the 90s, in the 2000s. You sure as hell ain't going to do that by playing ECU. And I'm not trying to throw shade at East Carolina or Tulane. Just speaking the truth, man. None, neither of those programs have the kind of stature that Every program in the Big East has right now. Even DePaul. Because DePaul at least had some promise this past year. They just ran into the gauntlet that was the Big East. And that shit happens every year. DePaul just happens to be on the short end of the stick because everyone else is that much better. Even when it seems like St. John's and Georgetown go through their annual struggles. They're still way farther ahead of the curve than teams like Tulane and East Carolina. And even Temple. And again, I'm not trying to throw shade. It's just univer- it's a universal truth. The Big East is a far better conference than the AAC. And everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. It's about time UConn finally came to their senses, got this deal done last summer, and now, because the calendar has officially hit July 1st, they're home. And... As someone who grew up watching UConn in the old Big East, I really hope that this move helps elevate UConn's status again. Because, kind of like with a lot of programs that, you know, have been at the top of the mountain in college basketball over the years. It just makes college basketball more exciting when those teams are towards the top or at the top, you know? You know, teams like Indiana, UCLA, North Carolina, and North Carolina had a really down year. 
and especially with Cole Anthony now, made it really hard to watch some of their games and make college basketball a little more intriguing to, you know, the casual fan, you know? For the diehards like me, you're going to watch it no matter what. But to the casual fan that really won't know much, they'll they'll really start watching only when, you know, the schools that they're familiar with and have seen them succeed, you know, in the in the past, like a long time ago, a team like UConn or even like Georgetown and St. John's because we all know how great those two programs were in the 80s with, you know, Patrick Ewing leading Georgetown and being coached by the legendary John Thompson and with St. John's being coached by Louis Carnesecca and led by the Hall of Famer Chris Mullen who eventually came back and coached his alma mater like Patrick Ewing is doing now with Georgetown. It, it, it just makes college basketball that much more fun to watch when those programs who nostalgically remember being really great back in the day and it's just not like that now because all these other programs have taken major steps forward and leapfrogged those, those teams that I mentioned. You know, it's... It's kind of like if you've ever seen South Park, like the season from about, I think it was four years ago, with the member berries, you know, like we can't be fully reliant on those member berries, but occasionally, you know, we want to, you know, for nostalgia purposes, we want to go back and member uh, those times where UConn was a really strong, great basketball program. Even Georgetown and St. John's and even DePaul. I mean, DePaul hasn't made the tournament since 2004. They haven't even, like, sniffed major success in the tournament in nearly 30 years. St. John's hasn't won a tournament game since 2000. Georgetown... The last time they made it to the second weekend of the tournament, that was the year they made the Final Four last, which was 2007. And with UConn, their last tournament trip was in 2016. Four years ago. It's been... And they were going to miss the tournament again this year. So that would that this year would have marked four straight years without an NCAA tournament trip for the University of Connecticut. Who would have thought we would have been saying this in 2020? It's absolutely absurd. But it's about, like I said, it's about damn time that UConn is back home in the Big East, back in a conference where it belongs, back in a conference where basketball is the top priority and UConn as as a university and as an athletic department finally made the realization that men's basketball has to be their go-to men's program. And they had to go to a conference where there was more of that emphasis. And the AAC sure as hell didn't have that, and the Big East did. And with schools they were already familiar with, you know, reigniting that New England rivalry with Providence, even with older rivals like St. John's, Seton Hall, Nova, and Georgetown, and the latter two of those, Teams that UConn has met 
in non-conference play over the past few seasons. They had a home and home with Georgetown in the 16 and 17 seasons, and they played Villanova in each of the past three seasons. You know, once in Hartford, once at the Garden, and then this past year in Philly at the Wells Fargo Center. You know, it's like, you know, for you hardcore wrestling fans out there, or I know I wasn't alive for it, but for those of you that were, the match made in heaven. You know, that was Macho Man Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth when they got married in the middle of the ring in Madison Square Garden. And, you know, 29 years later, that match made in heaven is coming back into play again. And it's going to be taking place at Madison Square Garden. But this time, it's the Big East Conference in the University of Connecticut. Don't go anywhere. I've got another in-depth interview coming up next. And this time, I got Marquette big man Matt Hell, who graduated in 2019. I'm going to be talking about a lot of things in this interview, all the way from... The debacle in the Big East semifinals in 2019 against Seton Hall. One that we all remember but wish we could forget. We're going to be talking about that. Topics from that all the way to Rage Against the Machine. Trust me, we cover it all in this interview, so you don't want to miss that. It's coming up next here on the Igloo. All right, welcome back inside the Igloo, continuing our summer vacation and summer interview series continuing. Last episode, I had a good friend of mine from Seton Hall, Michael Enzi. Now we shift gears to Marquette and another member of the class of 2019. Um, He was a fan favorite and a native of the state of Wisconsin. Um, Joining me now um, from his home, in the state of Wisconsin, a guy who will be actually doing grad school uh, not too far down the line is former Marquette Center, Matt Hell. Matt, thanks for taking the time to join me inside the Igloo, man. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Well, uh, let, let's get right into it. I mean, coming out of high school, for a lot of people like in the state of Wisconsin, there are really only two big schools for basketball in the state and you obviously got Wisconsin, which a lot of people more know for obviously with their football as well. They have obviously they've had great success on the basketball court as well. Uh, but he also got Marquette in Milwaukee um, and Marquette was obviously where you ended up. So uh, in high school, uh, kind of take me through the process of uh, how you ended up at Marquette and um, being convinced that, um, this new head coach uh, finally getting, you know, his feet wet as a head coach versus being an assistant um, and Steve Wojciechowski and, you know, trusting in him to um, commit to him and his program. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. Cause I, w- if Buzz Williams hadn't left, I like, there was no way I was going to Marquette, you know, I, um, nothing against him, obviously like, you know, he's a good coach. Uh, but just I didn't feel like Marquette was the right fit for me under Buzz. Um, and I was looking at other schools. And then, you know, Buzz left and Wojo got there. 
and it was kind of a complete 180. You know, he I was one of the first guys he went to go see. Uh, then I I've obviously I've, I was close enough. You know, it's like an hour and a half drive, so I end up taking a few unofficial visits, getting to know them, and I just felt like you know every time I was there, you know he he was never lying to me. He always was genuine about it. Um, it wasn't any like gimmicky stuff. You know, he just he said it straight to me, and whether I liked that or not, he it wasn't an issue for him, you know, but his biggest thing was that he was going to be honest during the whole thing, during the recruiting process, all of it. Um, and just like, you know, that kind of sold me and I, it was far enough away from home where I could be away from my parents, but um, close enough to where like, you know, if I were to ever get homesick, I could uh, just jump on the highway and get back home. But yeah, that, and you know, that it's also a really good school. Like a lot of, a lot of big East schools are, and um, just the facilities, everything, everything just kind of lined up. It was everything I wanted. It felt super right. And, um, you know, I just really, Coach Rojo made a big impression on me with his honesty. And, you know, I just felt like that's a guy I, I would love to go to war with. And you, you were part of a very good recruiting class. I mean, you had Sakar Annam was in that group. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the hallmark of that was Henry Ellenson, a guy that ended up, being a first round NBA draft pick and having a one and done campaign at Marquette. Um, You guys were obviously a young team coming off a season where you only won four conference games, but the future was obviously looking bright with that group, especially when you get a guy like Henry Allenson on your team and some of the other returning factors. Oh, another guy I was just thinking of Tracy Carter um, was and Hanif Cheatham as well. um, Both of which, um, unfortunately, they ended up transferring from Marquette. But um, the point still remains, you know, a lot of great talent coming in, but still a fairly young team. And early on, you know, you guys went through the ringer early, you know, losing a couple games at home in kind of ugly fashion, one against Belmont in the opener. And then Iowa, I mean, I know it's going to sound harsh, but, I mean, I mean, if you look at the score, I mean, 89-61, you know, looks like they wiped the floor with you. Uh, that night but you guys were able to respond and win the next I think nine games in a row um, but unfortunately with the conference play and you know how tough the Big East was Villanova and Xavier were on their game that year Seton Hall was on the rise Providence had Chris Dunn and Ben Bentel Butler was doing their thing um, you guys ended up only uh, going eight and ten um, but what were some of the big things that you learned uh, just from your first campaign, um, first year of college basketball, um, dealing with some of the challenges that you had to deal with, with playing some very good teams out of conference, and then the grind that is and the grind that you came to know is the Big East. Yeah, um, you know, I think for any freshman coming in, it's it's definitely you're you're not exactly sure what you're getting into, you know, because along with that increase in uh, just a much higher level of basketball, you know, that requires so much more work to it. So you're, you know, the intensity of lifting, the intensity of practice, the intensity of conditioning and all that, like before you're, you are even like the first game, you know, it's, it's a kind of a shock and you're like getting used to this new lifestyle as a freshman. And, you know, then we had, yeah, like you said, um, you know, that Iowa loss was really bad. I remember coach actually took away our practice jerseys and all that um, for a while. And we had some really, really hard practices. But um, immediately after that, we went to Brooklyn for the Legends Classic and won it. We beat um, we beat LSU with Ben Simmons. And then we ended up beating Arizona State 
for the uh, the championship of that tournament. And that we kind of were able to win out the rest of our non-con after that uh, going into the Big East with what we were hoping was some momentum. But yeah, I mean, you know, the Big East top to bottom is the best team or is the best conference in college basketball every year. You know, we're you're talking to a conference that gets 70% of its teams into the NCAA tournament. You know, it's just where where else are you going to see that? You know, so it definitely some really good basketball and thankfully you know I had, I had players like Luke Fisher um, you know some other you know coach Wojo and the other coaches all had uh, experience as players you know all these guys still play on uh, noon ball and all that super competitively so um, to have guys that had gone through it and were able to kind of coach you up and still especially for the coaches you know they were they're all pretty young guys like they're still young enough to remember like what it felt like when they were freshmen and to kind of help you to help guide you through that and everything um but it's definitely learning learning experience you know I, I feel like every freshman that they, they have no idea what's hap what's about to happen you know it's it's a whole new experience and you're just kind of trying to to process everything and learn the best you can as you're as you're going through it now one of the most fond memories I have from like that 2015-16 season was that in late January there was a huge snowstorm that hit the East Coast and it ended up uh, postponing a couple Big East games one of which was Providence and Villanova which was supposed to be a huge Fox Saturday game at the Wells Fargo Center um, and it ended up getting postponed to Sunday and meanwhile you know not far um, to the Northeast in New York City, you guys are supposed to play St. John's at the Garden but on a Saturday afternoon, but because of that blizzard, you guys couldn't play, and then you had to play the following day at Carneseca Arena in Queens in front of, I think, less than 2,000 fans. Um, and, and it was a weird start. I think it was like a 3.45 tip time on a Sunday. Um, what, what do you remember just from the absurdity of you know having the game postponed having such small attendance and then winning just was overall a weird basketball game against the St. John's team that was about the epitome of bottom of the barrel as you can see in the Big East yeah you know I thankfully I, it wasn't my first time to New York that year so I I wasn't quite in in awe of the city as I was the first time but you know what we were we're planning to, to play at the garden. So obviously our hotel is in New York, it's in the city. Um, and this snowstorm's rolling and literally it's shut down like New York city, Times Square with just no cars, no people walking around and just snow, you know, it was really, it was surreal to, to see that. And then to have to, you know, readjust, obviously we're planning to play the game on Saturday. Um, stuff that was out of our control caused the game to be postponed and, um, you know, the, I think the main thing from that trip, is, you know, we had to we had to keep our focus, you know, whatever we what we thought was going to happen didn't happen. So we had to refocus, stay locked into the game plan for another night. Um, and then, yeah, we got there. Uh, Carneseca is actually where <laughs> Coach Wojo, uh, he played his high school All-American game there. And the only reason he got on the on the uh, team is because A.I. was in jail. <laughs> Oh wow! Yeah, so the, wow. There's a kind of his little fun fact about that, which I, you know, I'll never forget that. Um, but yeah, definitely, um, Carneseca is very, very different from the Garden, and it's it's since been um, the floor has been redone and stuff. I remember my freshman year; it was very, it had not been updated. It was pretty old. Um, 
You can you oh. can say it's gross if you want to, because I know it's gross. It was well, gross. I, mean, I, then. I wouldn't go that far. You know, I've, I've played enough AAU ball to to really know what a gross gym looks like. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, it's we both had to play on that court. We, you know, it's it was a fair level playing field. Obviously, it wasn't a top of the line, state of the art uh, quarter facility, but you know, at the end of the day, we still had to go out there and get a win. And, you know, we were able to stay locked in. I thought our coaches did a really good job of, you know, helping us handle the adversity of having that game delayed and being stuck in New York uh, an extra day and all that stuff. Um, definitely was a learning experience, though. You know, something good to go through as a freshman to kind of, you know, experience that a game delay and playing at a, a venue that is definitely not what you were hoping or expecting to play at at all. Yeah, I mean, not to mention, I mean, Again, like less than 2,000 people in attendance. I mean, I mean, it would feel even weirder if you had to do it in the garden. But um, did it feel weird at all to like have just, you know, such small attendance at, at, at a Big East conference game? Um, you know, it, it was it was definitely different. But Karnasek is also very small. So um, it didn't quite feel as empty. You know, like Karnasek is about – I actually think my my high school my Nina high school gym could fit more at max capacity than Carnesecca, so um, it it definitely felt small. But at the same time, you know, like you you look, it's still it's still the St. John's team. It's still a Big East caliber game. It's just a kind of a different setting, like you like you're saying. And um, you know, once you're in the game, the fans obviously like you hear the noise, but necessarily like you're not really noticing how full the bleachers are what what's going on with the fans especially when you're locked into the game I got you well of uh, well you did get your chance to play in the garden um in March at the Big East tournament you know where the, the Big East tournament's been since 1983 and you got uh, you know it was an interesting interesting first night that you guys had there where you matched up with St. John's and it ended up being a shootout that you guys ended up winning. I think it was like 101 to 93. I mean, there were a lot of points on the board. Um, and then you guys lost to a very good Xavier team in the quarterfinal round. Uh, but getting that chance to finally step foot in the garden, um, take me through what emotions you were feeling and just um, – the atmosphere that you um, were feeling just from the essence of Madison Square Garden, you know, the world's most famous arena, the mecca of college basketball. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, especially so earlier that season, I had sprained my MCL and I wasn't able to play. I still wasn't uh, cleared to play yet uh, for the Big East tournament, but I was far enough along in my rehab where I was able to go out, warm up and just I, I wasn't quite ready for full contact but yeah being able to to go out there I mean the, it's just it's it's not this like it's not like the like you know I, I compare I think of the Pfizer form it's like that's the best arena in college basketball like it's but the guard there's just something about the garden it's almost like magical there you know that's it has this amazing history um you, you know you're in the walls um you're you know you're in the walls behind when you're coming out and there's just all these um, photos of everyone who's performed there, all the events they've had, and it's just such a historical, amazing place. Um, definitely, like you know, if you if you like basketball, that that has to be a bucket list item. It's just to go there and see it, and uh, especially playing in it. Obviously, not my freshman year, but the years after that was um, 
you know, it was definitely something, some, something special and unlike any other basketball experience. Yeah. And like that first time, I know you obviously didn't get to see any game action in that first Big East tournament that you got to be a part of, but just stepping on that garden court, did it almost feel surreal, you know, taking that court for the first time? Yeah, it definitely, you know, there's some about it. Because I remember, you know, the, all the Big East freshmen, they take you out before the season. You know, you meet in New York, you get to tour the garden. Um, they teach you, like, some media interview skills, stuff like that. Um, but then to come out as a player for a game, for warm-ups, you know, the fans are kind of getting there. The whole media is, everything's there. Um, yeah, it definitely, there's there's nothing, I, I, I can't even explain it. There's just nothing else like being in the garden as a player, being on that court. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, th- just the biggest tournament in general is just like another level. And like, that's why, like, even w- in realignment, the biggest tournament is still the tournament in college basketball in terms of conference tournaments. I mean, I will take that to my grave. And like, I mean, I grew up in the old, I grew up in the old Big East. I mean, I'm an hour from Syracuse. So, um, I mean, as great, I mean, that was obviously great, but even with, you know, this, um, watered down version of the Big East, but still focusing on basketball now as the main focus. Like even then, it's still the conference tournament. The re- th- and you only need three reason, three words to, you know, back your case up, and that's Madison Square Garden. That's all you got to say. Um, your sophomore year, though, that was when the tide started to turn for you guys. Um, Non-conference play was what it was, and not you know for what it was worth, nine and three, pretty solid. Big East, that Big East in twenty seventeen was really really good. That was the year seven teams qualified out of the ten for the NCAA tournament, and you guys ended up being one of them. And you guys had a lot of hallmark wins um, during that campaign, and the one stretch that I will. That, that was such a huge piece was winning back-to-back games, you know, losing a tough game on MLK Day at Butler, and then responding by winning at Creighton, who was 18-1 and at the time, and then pulling off an insane comeback to upset number one Nova at home. Um, before we get to that Nova upset, because obviously that's the more important one, um, did, you, did you guys feel any – you know, sense of the tide turning back in your favor after going into Omaha and knocking off a Creighton team that was granted they just lost Mo Watson for the year with the when he tore his ACL the game before, but uh, to go on the road and beat a really really good Creighton squad. Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, I. Um, and to, to go back to that Butler game too, you know, uh, being up 16 at half and, and dropping that, uh, left a pretty bad taste in everyone's, all of our mouths, obviously, you know, we were, we definitely wanted to bounce back. Um, and yeah, Crane was a really good team, but we, you know, we were up for the opportunity, up for the challenge. Um, our coaches are always preaching to take one game at a time, you know, put the most important game of the season is our next game. And, you know, coming in there with that mentality, I think, you know, we, we have some really good practices leading up to it. Our group was unified. Um, we were a team on a mission, you know, and, and going in there, uh, it's, it's a great place to play. You know, they, they sell out 17,000 fans every game. It's loud, really good team. Um, you know, but when we just battled, we battled, we played well, and uh, we were able to get out of there with the dub and, 
definitely, you know, especially when you beat one of the, the, the better teams or one of those top tier Big East teams or, you know, a team that's kind of kind of fighting for the number one spot. Um, you know, it definitely gives you gives you a sense of momentum um, going forward. And it, you kind of, you know, kind of just takes everything that we had going into that game. And, you know, we want to keep that. We want to keep that feeling, keep that unity, keep the, the way we were practicing and just keep it going, you know, see, see how far we can take it. And how far did you guys take it? Obviously, right into the next game against number one Villanova, um, a team, you know, defending national champs, you know, Josh Hart, uh, Jalen Brunson, just, st- I mean, granted, still not that 2016 team, but still really good and end up being, you know, the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. And in the second half, they had a pretty sizable lead on you guys, but you guys did not go away and ended up winning. Honestly, one of the best games I've ever seen in this new Big East where you guys ended up rallying to win by two after being down by, it was 17, am I right? Yeah, I think 17 was the, the biggest deficit. Yeah, and I mean, that was such a big win for you guys. And um, I know that was at the time and maybe even you know you can make the argument even now that that was still Wojo's hallmark win as a head coach at Marquette uh to overcome that big of a deficit and beat a team at the caliber of Villanova um what uh what do you, what, what were your memories of just uh coming together not giving up overcoming what seemed like insurmount an insurmountable deficit winning that game, you know, feeding off that great crowd at the Bradley Center, and then um, the swarm of humanity that um, entered the court when the buzzer sounded. Yeah, uh, definitely one thing I remember is, uh, you know, our coaches just saying, keep chopping, you know, like, um, you know, when a lumberjack goes to chop down a giant tree, it's not one big swing, you know, it's hit, 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 you just keep chopping, and then eventually those, all those chops add up, and the tree falls down, and that's kind of what you know, we we had gone through that in film and, um, you know, kind of preparing for the game and just to be in that situation and just keep chopping and everyone was on the same page. Everyone was locked in from, you know, the guys who were in the game, the guys who started to, you know, the, the very last, you know, the walk-ons and the managers at the end of the bench. You know, we were, everyone was locked in, keep chopping. Um, we had the crowd at our backs and, you know, the as every time we got it closer and closer, you know, that the crowd got a little louder, the crowd got a little louder and, um yeah I mean it was just surreal to that game that probably was one of the fastest games like I felt like it was over so fast you know some some games are grueling you know but grinded out physical but that game it just felt like it was it was like five minutes long and next thing you know we're running out there on the court I see I see Juwan Johnson and Sam Hauser tackle each other on the ground so I'm trying to get them standing as fast as I can because I see just you know the floodgates are open and the crowd is just sprinting onto the court with us um that was you know that was incredible you know to be part of a court storming too is something that not a lot of college players get to be a part of and that is definitely um an incredible feeling you know beating the number one team at your home court the you know I, the students everyone storms the court like that's some, that's what dreams are made of you know that's what kids dream about when they think about you know where they want to play college basketball yeah I mean and there are you know so many iconic images from you know the celebration that happened you know 
all the guys that were standing, um, you know, on, on top of the scorers table, celebrating the win. Uh, Wojo, I, I'm pretty sure there was a pick of Wojo, you know, having like a big hug with Marcus, a young Marcus Howard. And I definitely want to talk to you more um, about the uh, hit Marcus Howard's evolution, you know, later on, but um, obviously that was such a big moment for you guys. And, you know, in a way like that helped catapult you guys um, into the NCAA tournament picture and, uh, you know, you, you know, peaks and valleys, you know, every team's going to go through that, but you guys were able to finish really, really strong. You know, you got down to, I think, I think you guys actually lost four of five after that game, but after that you ended up winning four of your final five, which included, you know, beating Xavier twice, um, obviously at home and then winning in the second to last game of the year in Cincinnati. But during that stretch was the night you had a career night and that came at home against St. John's and a legend was born, if you will, as uh, Marquette Twitter said, um, as you got a double, double the, um, what was no, um, I believe the nickname that was referred, uh, given to you by, I think it was MUBB Nation, I'm pretty sure. It was um, the Milkman, which I still think is just awesome. And uh, that was a huge game. You ended up getting a double-double, and you guys ended up being St. John's uh, pretty big. And uh, the students, at least, I know, were really, really behind you, even doing, you know, the, you know um, hand gesturing and, you know, milking the cow. and um, and, you know, how were you feeling um, just as the game was going on? And, you know, you just, it just seemed like it was crescendo, crescendo, crescendo of just you just doing one great thing after another to help get you guys an, a, another big win. And then in, in the end, it ended up being a double-double. Yeah, you know, um, so the game before that, we played at Xavier and won. And, uh, you know, like you said, we, we had dropped a few games after Nova, and then we had, had just found our stride again. You know, we kind of figured it back out. We started clicking, um, got everyone on the same page. And, um, yeah, you know, that, that game was, was crazy to me because it felt like every time I, you know, my teammates just gave me great passes and I had to just shoot it. <laughs> um, you know, like it was – we were playing such a high level of basketball. We were sharing the ball so well. We are playing good defense. I mean – yeah, like that night was – it was a great career night for me, but also for our team to to keep that momentum going. It wasn't like I – it was taking all these shots. You know, it was – we were playing really good basketball, and it ended up that, you know, I got the ball in positions where I needed to shoot it, and I ended up getting a double-double because of it. And But I was – you know, I was just so happy for our team because we, we were really playing such great basketball. When you, you When you know you're playing good basketball, that's when teams are extremely dangerous because you – it's not just one guy who's playing well and has that confidence. It's your whole team, you know, from the, the best player to the last guy on the bench. Everyone has that confidence when it, your team is playing as well as we were playing. Yeah, and I, again, like that positive momentum you guys had and, you know, like a lot of that I think was credited after, you know, Georgetown kind of gave you the business in D.C. You know, you guys had a week off to rest for that Xavier game. And, you know, that rest paid off because I think you beat him by like 22 uh, that game and then you know finishing off winning four of your last five granted you lose in the Big East tournament against Seton Hall but either way you guys still had enough on your resume to get into the NCAA tournament safely as a 10 seed uh, but unfortunately you guys just ran into a buzzsaw I mean granted 
essentially playing a road game against South Carolina down in Greenville. Um, but just having that first NCAA experience under, under your belt, um, what was it like just to go from where you guys were a year ago, you know, after losing Henry Ellenson, you know, a legitimate great talent uh, to uh, still coming together and doing enough to make the NCAA tournament. And I mean, obviously things didn't go your way against South Carolina. And I mean, it's not looking back, not so bad now, considering they made the, they made all the way to the final four that year. Uh, But uh, what do you remember just from that first experience and also, you know, being part of the starting five, taking the court um, at the opening tip um, down in Greenville? Yeah. You know, they're kind of, it's kind of like the garden where once you're, once you're there, you know, it's just, it's unlike any other college basketball experience. And, you know, to be there, I remember in warmups, you know, we had our, you know, the Marquette, our families and everyone's there in this little section. And then the rest of the arena is just chanting like game, cock, game, you know, like it's, I'm like, oh man, this is literally a road game for us. And, mm-hmm. and the whole year, you know, they were a team that was really good defensively, but struggled offensively. So we thought we were going to be a great match because the, the whole year we had been a, an offensive juggernaut who would struggle on the defensive end. Um, but yeah, we, they played insanely well. And I remember after the game, just, you know, coach saying like, look, we, we talked to a a number of other coaches in that SEC. We watched, I think it was like six or seven games, broken them down. And they said like, that's literally the best we've ever seen them play on offense. So they, they really were just, like you said, I mean, it was a buzzsaw and obviously it's shown like they. I remember they beat Baylor too by by like twenty something in the Sweet yeah, Sixteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They and they beat Duke. Yeah, I mean they were they were playing their absolute best basketball of the year, and that started with our first NCAA tournament game, which was unfortunate for us. But like you said, you know it it definitely stings less when you see them just steamrolling everybody and then going to the Final Four for sure. Well, I mean, uh, going into you know the twenty eighteen season, I mean obviously. Things didn't go quite as well. Um, you guys did have some, you know, good stuff that happened. I mean, a solid run in the Maui Invitational for one. Um, and then in conference play, again, ups and downs. You upset Seton Hall at home by 20. And then later on in the conference play, you beat them on the road by three points. And, again, great end to the season winning four of your last five games and uh two of those wins came against Creighton which ended up being you know big for you guys uh to finish 500 in conference and that again that last Creighton game was the final game ever in the BMO Harris Bradley Center um what were your memories just from you know a the win and then b saying goodbye to the arena that you had called home for your first three years of college and, um, you know, realizing I'm like, damn, this is really the end of an era. Yeah. You know, um, it was, it's always good for us to be crazy. You know, we, uh, we've had some uncanny success. Like Wojo's record against Creighton has been pretty good. And I know my, um, my four years there, I never lost at Creighton. You know, I was undefeated in the um, the CenturyLink Center. And um, so that's definitely a team I know, like, 
like I obviously not speaking about the team now, but I remember like our guys, we were, you know, the guys I was with, we were confident every time we, we played Creighton because it's a team that we feel we had a pretty good understanding of and we'd had success of uh, previously. Um, but then to speak to the, you know, the last game in the Bradley Center, it was at the time the Bradley Center was the oldest NBA arena in the country, um, originally made for basketball and hockey. Um, it's it's a huge, huge arena. It's it's very high. It gets very cold. Uh, there's definitely things I was looking forward to, uh, you know, not having to experience with the Pfizer Forum. But it was definitely, you know, there's definitely a lot of sentiment there. I remember as a freshman, you know, we're, we're doing our team video, you know, like the hype up video that goes onto the Jumbotron before the mm-hmm. game. You know, when you when it wasn't your turn, you could just kind of do, you know, go wherever you want. So we were, you know, up up way up at the top in the nosebleeds, kind of just looking down and seeing everything. Um, yeah, and it, and to speak, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily that after the game, I was like, dang, that was my last game there. I I definitely acknowledged it, but at the same time, you know, we still had our. It was more, you know, like what's what's our next game? What's our next game? Kind of staying in that momentum. You know, we we can always get nostalgic after our season is over. But until then, it's, you know, it's, you got to stay locked in because it's a long season. It's a grind. And, you know, the, the more laser focused you are, the more you're going to be able to eliminate uh, any distractions for you and your team. Right. And well, you guys ended up playing a few more home games just later that year, but just not at the Bradley center. Um, After the big East tournament, you guys played in the NIT and Ended up playing on campus at the – it's called the – it's the Al McGuire Center, right? Yeah, yes. So um, – and those were interesting games and for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, obviously, playing at the Al is uh, – you guys obviously don't do that very often, um, you know, even less against some of the teams that you played against. You know, the last two games you played in the NIT were against Oregon and Penn State. Um, and what I remember was – uh, behind one of the baskets, at least in the Oregon game, um, the men's lacrosse team for Marquette was having themselves a day and, you know, doing a great job being in your corner and distracting the other team at the free throw line. Uh, but what was that change in scenery like and uh, playing in the uh, a different postseason tournament and it, in a smaller but more intense loud venue? Yeah, it, it's definitely different, you know, because um, until, until you get to the final four, it's home court advantage. You play on at their home court. So, you know, we, we knew we had the advantage and we were thankfully we were able to practice on that court, you know, pretty much every every practice we had leading up to games and all that. So we were definitely super familiar with the court. Um, you know, that's where we have our, our Marquette Madness to kick off the season. That's where we do our open scrimmages. Um, you know, we we definitely are, are very familiar with that. It definitely feels like home court, um, smaller arena, but, but kind of, you know, kind of like uh Karnaseka at St. John's where it, it's a little smaller, but they, you know, it gets really packed. So it's still, it can still be very loud. Um, and yeah, our lacrosse team was, was incredible, man. Those guys really went all out for us. I remember, you know, they, they had their, you know, they were in their shirtless with the chest painted and just all, there was all kinds of, you know, just messing around there trying to mess with, uh, guys shooting free throws and all that but they were definitely definitely an energy boost for us and had a huge impact um on the games I mean unfortunately you guys ended up losing in the uh quarterfinal round uh against Penn State who won the NIT 
again, again, you know, you know, running into a team that ended up having great success in, you know, the entirety of the tournament, you know, kind of funny how things turn out. Um, and then your senior year was when things really started to come around and it really started in your non-conference schedule, a portion of the season where relatively speaking, you guys had some struggles, but this time around, not so much. And you guys got three major wins um, in the month of December, you know, beating Kansas state in-state rival Wisconsin, and then undefeated Buffalo at home. And I mean, who would have known that Buffalo would end up being a big game um, that year, but um, those three wins ended up, you know, playing a major role in terms of, you know, how your team was, was molded uh, that season, um, especially with, you know, some of the big performances that Marcus Howard put up. Um, but to have three big home wins like that in a brand new arena, uh, what did that mean to you and all the guys on the team um, knowing that, you know, this was like the first team that these were legitimately all guys that Wojo recruited and only Wojo did. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think especially with the new arena, you know, we wanted to set the tone right away. We wanted to defend our home court and you know, we, we were just, a, we, we had guys who had been there. We had an established role of seniority. You know, the, the, the upperclassmen were all understood their roles as leaders, what we needed to do. And everyone just kind of had that team first mentality, you know, like if, if you score 20 and we lose, like we still lose, but if we win, everyone wins, no matter how much you score, no matter if you don't play or not, we still won. And, you know, we were all, that's, we were, everyone was bought in, you know, everyone was, completely invested in our team success and you know we we also had gotten a lot better on the defensive end we spent a whole summer uh just you know coaches preaching defense us working on our defensive schemes seeing how we could be better at that um but yeah you know we we just had guys we we played the right kind of basketball all the time and it was it definitely showed in our our home record and those those big wins too you know we were ready to go we understood we had played you know, when, whenever we play Wisconsin, it's a huge game. We wanted to try to replicate that type of rivalry mentality for these big games. And, you know, our, our most important game was our next game. Whatever, whoever we played, that's that's the biggest game of the season. And we had that seriousness for all those games. And we're able to pull through. And, and definitely, you know, we, we had some close games that season, too, that we were able to pull out and win because of our grit and just the ability to stay together and trust one another and play the right kind of basketball. Yeah, and in that last game that I mentioned, the one against Buffalo, the second half that Marcus Howard had was just absolutely unreal. Uh, 45 second-half points. Um, I got to imagine just watching that, like, you know, even if, you know, being in the game or just watching it from the sidelines, I mean, it must have been just a, a show and a spectacle uh, to watch him do what he did that night. Yeah, I mean, you know, I had seen him my junior year uh, score 50 points at uh, at Providence, or 52, I think it was. So 52, yep. You know, we're, I, you know, you, he definitely is one of those guys where when he gets hot, he can, he, it's, it can be uh, dangerous for other teams because he can get to a point where he just cannot miss if he tried to. And 
And that's what, you know, that's how it got there. But, and that speaks to our, our team being bought in enough where, you know, we're, we recognize that. So nobody is like mad at him because he's super hot and making all these shots. You know, there's no jealousy yet. You know, his success, him scoring 45, every other guy on that team was, was probably more excited than he was. You know, every, every time he did a three, you'd, we'd have to be, uh, us older guys were trying to hold the young guys so they wouldn't run on the court because they were so excited. You know, it's, it's one of those things where we just, we were, that speaks to that season. You know, we were, everyone was so bought in. We just wanted to win and whoever was hot, whether it was Marcus, whether it was, um, you know, somebody else, it didn't matter. Cause at the end of the day, whoever was the hottest probably should be shooting. And you know, that we ended up winning a lot of games because of that. And, and speaking of, you know, you talked about the night that Marcus scored 52, that's at a big East conference, uh, single game record for scoring. And he literally broke his own record a year later in a place you mentioned it, you never lost there against Creighton. And yep. that game was just absolutely insane. Uh, Howard had 53 in that game, which is exactly half of your team's points, winning 106 to 104 in overtime. And I'm pretty sure in overtime, I think, I think there were 40 points combined scored in that overtime in five minutes, which was absolutely absurd. Um, just um what what were your biggest takeaways you know uh in the locker room and just leaving Omaha that night and what was just an absolutely insane ball game yeah you know I I remember everyone you know we were just so ecstatic that that buzzer beater that Sam Hauser hit to get us into overtime was a once in a lifetime shot right there you know and then to get in there Marcus you know we we all knew right away like he got hot and then it we knew he wasn't going to be able to miss. And then it was basically just our team's job to try to stop them from scoring more than us, because we knew that if we needed a bucket, Marcus could get it. We just needed to try to stop them. And that's where we were able to do it. But I remember in the locker room after the game, um, I looked over at Cam Murata, who, who was a walk-in, who came, walk-on who came in the same year as me, the same with that class with Henry Ellenson and all those guys. Um, kid from Milwaukee I'd, I'd played AAU against him since I was like 12 years old and we just looked at each other like you know like yeah we just went undefeated for our careers here and like you know that was kind of a special moment for for me and him to have as kind of being like the seniors and a little bit of like closing the chapter on Omaha for us but um, definitely just we were so whenever you see a performance like that you you understand that you were a part of something that's truly special you know something that very few people get to experience being on a team with a player of that caliber who has a performance like that. Well, you know, like there are obviously players who do special things, you know, with the basketball and, you know, like, and with their just talent that they can do with that. Uh, But there's another side of basketball and that's, you know, being a team player, being selfless and, that senior year for you, you know, after being the starting center for, you know, over a year, you know, towards the end of your sophomore year and for the majority of your junior year, uh, you had to take that back seat to Theo John um, as he kind of rose up into that starting center role. But in a game at Xavier, um, just a few weeks after that win against Creighton, uh, Theo got himself into foul trouble and you guys were facing quite a difficult deficit in that game at the Sintas Center and Wojo called your number to step in and uh, fill his shoes and hold hold down the fort in the middle 
And you did exactly that, you know, playing a little over 20 minutes and doing so many little things to get the momentum back on your team side and give them the chance to win the game, which you guys did. And giving you guys the season sweep of Xavier for the second time in your uh, Marquette career. And after the game, uh, Wojo, you know, got choked up and tearing up talking about the selflessness that you had shown as a senior leader and the performance that you had um, coming up in a tough spot um, to, you know, um, replace Theo John who had to deal with foul trouble and, you know, succeed in that spot. Um, when you heard of, um, you know, how did you hear about uh, what he had said um, in that press conference and how did you react to it? Um, you know, I, I actually, uh, I saw it on Twitter afterwards. I saw the video and, and all that, but um, you know, that season, I, I, I realized that Theo, like, you know, everyone who watches Big East basketball knows who Theo John is. Like that dude is the definition of a man child. Like he is a really amazing athlete. He's a very strong man. Um, you know, just, I knew that he added things on defense that I just simply, like I could never be a shot blocker the way Theo could. And I knew I wanted to win above all things, you know, like it's my senior year. Um, we, I know we have a really good team but it's going to come down to can we bring this team together? Can everyone be selfless? Can everyone have one thing as a priority on their agenda? And that's our team winning. And, you know, when I – obviously I had talked to Coach and Coach made me aware it's not like all of a sudden, you know, we start – you know, the season starts and I'm not playing and I'm just blindsided by, you know, our, like like I said, the whole reason I came there is because Coach Wojo was always so honest with me. And, you know, for me, it was a no-brainer because at the end of the day, like, if I'm the guy who sets the example as the senior, as a guy who, you know, I remember coming early in the summer Theo, when Theo John was a freshman to kind of help go through workouts with him, give him a guy to, to go up against in workouts and be a weightlifting partner and all that. So, you know, I was, I was super happy for Theo because that's an opportunity for him to show his ability and it's an opportunity for me to set the tone as a leader and be like, look, I started all season last year but the coaches are going in a different direction and that's fine because if that direction makes us a better team and it lets us win more games and that's all I care about. And then for that night at Xavier, you know, I, I saw Theo, you know, obviously as a senior, you can tell when you're, if you're coming off the bench, when you might go in based on foul trouble and other, other things. So I, I knew like I was probably going to end up going in this game. So I, I definitely, was ready. I was prepared. And when my number was called, I immediately was up off the bench, got in there and, um, you know, just try to do my job, you know, what, what I'm supposed to do on the court. And I did. And, you know, the, the other guys on the court did their jobs enough where we were able to win that game. But definitely, I remember one play where I forget who initially shot it on our team, but I, I got the offensive rebound. And uh, back from my freshman year, one of the first things Wojo taught me was if you get as a big if you get offensive rebound and you're surrounded look out for a three because offensive rebound kickout threes are huge momentum plays especially when we have a team that was as good a three-point shooters as we were so I get this offensive rebound and I look and I see Sam Hauser literally the closest guy to him is me and I'm on the block so I just throw that out there he hits a three big momentum play we go down there Xavier calls a timeout and I was just so overcome with emotion I remember like 
hold literally we're in the timeout and we're just talking and I'm like trying to hold back tears because of you know I was just like that's what that's what the culmination of my career and what Marquette basketball was for me was just putting winning before your own aspirations and understanding that when our team wins we all win um and obviously in the locker room you know like a big hugs from mojo and we were both emotional you know that was you know the guy I, I put all my trust in as a as an 18 year old kid trying to figure out where I was going to spend the next four years and you know to see him with that emotion definitely like you know he I have a really good relationship with him we're super close and um that doesn't surprise me because I know how much he cares not only about me but about all those guys for sure and I know it was a as important for me as as important as it was for me it was probably just as much for everyone you know everyone kind of everyone on our team understood the significance of what that meant of the guy who you know he's the the third string center he gets his number called he goes in there it doesn't matter he just he does his job and that kind of you know that that really sets an example for guys on the team for sure yeah I mean couldn't have said that better and um and you guys had such a good you know season up until the final two weeks you guys were you know 12 and 2 in conference and then uh the wheels started falling off a little bit where you guys kind of let games slip away um you had leads at Villanova and lost that one at the at Finner Pavilion uh losing at home against Creighton at the Pfizer Forum and then giving up the last 18 points at Seton Hall a few days later losing there and then uh losing the regular season title at home against Georgetown uh, but in the Big East tournament, though, you know, you guys kind of put all of that, you know, in the rearview mirror um, when you guys met St. John's in the quarterfinal round. And this was a team that swept you in the regular season. You know, they crushed you by 20 in, in New York. Um, they beat you by one in Milwaukee. And then you, um, you come back for round three in the Garden. And, I mean, it was a bloodbath that night at Madison Square Garden. I mean – uh, were you guys really trying to send a message t uh, to that group, you know, considering, you know, they had beaten you twice and then, you know, you beat the, you know, by a combined 21 points in those two games. And then here you are in the the third time around, you guys beat them by 32. Yeah. You know, I think definitely, especially because they were, you know, they were our first home loss of the season in our new arena and, and the way the game went in New York, um, you know, every, that was fresh in our minds when we were preparing to beat them. And yeah, definitely. We were a team on a mission that night of, it was, it was personal, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just to win. It was, we wanted to get our redemption back and, you know, we came in locked in, ready to go. Um, and especially with the way the regular season ended too, I think that also, you know, only added fuel to the fire for us. And, and definitely it felt good to kind of get our payback with them. And, a game that obviously like we we wanted to win so bad not only because it was St. John's because it's the Big East tournament and you're in Madison Square Garden you know we were everyone was locked in we couldn't wait to to get out there on the court and uh, the following night uh I don't even know where to begin with this oh. <laughs> um because like I mean I talked briefly about this with Mike Enzi and you know he's not one to you know be very you know confrontational if you will uh but that night there was a lot of confrontation a lot of mishandling of things and and in a game and it was a game that lasted that it ended on Saturday morning um and a game that started a little after nine o'clock I mean this is a long ass game to begin with 
I mean, a lot of delays for, you know, um, flagrant fouls, technical fouls, um, a lot pushing and shoving. Um, I think there were like over 50 personals, over 80 free throws. Um, uh, where do I even begin with this? I guess let's just start with the confrontation in the second half between um, Powell and Theo. Um, obviously, Miles took exception to a bit of a hard foul, which would be seen, you know, back in like 1989 as just normal. Right, um, right. Uh, Miles didn't like it. Obviously, he was airborne and vulnerable, so he, he obviously took exception to it. And then that turned into quite a fiasco um, that resulted in, you know, a second t- technical for Sakar Annam after he got a T in the first half. Uh, Mamu got his second technical for Seton Hall. He's gone. Theo got ejected for a flagrant two on an airborne player. Um, so that's three guys gone. And then a technical for Powell and just a huge, huge mess um, that the refs needed quite a bit of time to sort out. Um, what was going on? In, like, uh, what were you thinking just watching that from the sideline? Obviously, by the rules, you obviously uh, couldn't leave the bench area uh, because you would be tossed if you did. Uh, but afterwards, uh, what was being said in the huddle uh, during uh, what ended up being uh, quite a bit, quite a bit of a delay as the referees uh, were trying to figure out um, what the situation was going to be, what ten, what fouls were going to be assessed, and who was going to be disqualified. Yeah, you know, I I think you know we we all thought that there was a little bit of acting on the part of Theo's second flagrant because from from our angle um it seems like the the player was airborne and they had hit Theo but it wasn't that Theo necessarily extended or even like Theo is not this is what I'll say about Theo because I you know I have obviously have a close relationship with Theo and you know he does he never is out there trying to hurt people he just is a very big muscular guy and sometimes he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt and um, you know, good players sell play, sell false try. I, I, you know, obviously there was a foul there. Was it Theo, you know, pushing him out of the air necessarily? I don't agree with that, but obviously I'm, I'm biased because I was on the Marquette team at, <laughs> during that game. Um, but you know, it was very, it was a very weird atmosphere just because it, it was never like either team had the momentum because there was just so there, you know, the refs just – at some point, the refs kind of lost control of the game, and it, it was kind of – you just never knew what was going to happen next. What Like, what, what who was going to get a tech when they shouldn't? Who was going to do something that should have been a flagrant or a tech and that was going to get let slide? Like, there was so much inconsistency with it that, you know, as players, you, you know, you try to figure out what, what's going. You know, if they're calling it tight right away, you, you'll play a little less physical. If they're calling it looser, you'll play more. And we – I feel like neither team was really able to kind of find that, you know, like how are they calling it right now? And because of that, yeah, we just, there ended up being a lot of plays that, um, you know, made both teams very upset about it. And, um, you know, it's in the past, it's in the past. I, I remember as well. Uh, so Powell, Powell had gotten a technical and then, no, he had gotten a flagrant in the first half and then a technical. Then, so then he leaves and everyone thinks he's ejected, mm-hmm. but then, Several minutes later, he comes back out because uh, a flagrant and a technical is does not disqualify. But that's cor- that is correct. Two technicals does. 
Um, but and just to add to that too, you know, like that's how often do you see that where a player, like you know, is eject is ejected, leaves the court, and then next thing you know, they come back out and they can play. Like there's just a lot, so many just uncanny things you wouldn't find in a college basketball game that were seem to all be happening that night where neither team could really kind of get a grasp on the situation because of you know you just I like I'll I'll be frank like the refs were unpredictable that night we didn't know what to expect by the end of the game and um uh, you know it didn't go our way um but yeah it was it was probably one of the the strangest games I've ever been a part of and just you you like any you would basically by the end of the game it was like anything can happen right now because everything that's happened so far I would never would have expected to happen I mean look I was watching that game at home and I'm like I'm just watching I'm just like when in part of my language here like when is this cluster fuck gonna end <laughs> like it was it was just like I, I just couldn't wrap my head around the fact that there were so many fouls called so many foul shots and like like when listen and I'm a, like granted I'm not a division one college basketball referee but I am a referee back home and like the last thing you want to do as a referee is lose control of the game because then you get put on damage control. Right. And I, I think that's what the referees were dealing with there. They lost control of the game, so they're trying to get it back. And their attempt, their attempt in doing that was not successful, period. Yeah. And, I mean, and honestly, um, I, I want to put this to you, but um, I know Seton Hall won the game, but to me, I don't know. I just didn't think there was a winner or a loser. There was just a survivor. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a good way to put it, you know, with all the fouls and all that. I, I think really the the refs, not necessarily that the refs controlled the game because nobody was in control of that game, but I think the, the refs effectively took away the ability for either team to really kind of win it on their own, whereas, the you know, there's so much so much stopping, so much happening with the refs and all the fouls and everything that, Definitely. It was just whoever, you know, whoever had the most guys left at the end of the bench and whoever could, you know, make some free throws ended up winning. But definitely it wasn't, you know, I I don't know what the Seton Hall locker room was like after the game, but I'm sure it wasn't too far similar to ours where, you know, most of us were just upset with how it was handled and not happy. Obviously Seton Hall had another game to prepare for, so they were moving on to the next play. But um, yeah, you know, it was just a, a really, just a strange game, strange game to be a part of. I've never experienced anything like that before in, in all my years of basketball. Yeah. And what do you say that was kind of like, you know, I mean, obviously you guys were energetic enough to like be upset about everything that had happened, but would you say that game was like mentally draining for for all of you? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, cause you, you know, you're prepared for, for different scenarios, but never, would you ever think that something like that would happen with all the fouls, all the, you know, flagrants, technicals, all those free throws and the refs just losing control. Like you need to be, you need to be able to accept that and move on to the next play and, you know, try your best to um, adjust and find a way to win. But yeah, you know, it's, it's really hard to adjust when there's just, you know, just the inconsistency of what was going on. You couldn't, you couldn't expect anything from the, the refs that game because it just got out of control. And that's not to say like, you know, the refs are humans too. I mean, you could, you could have put any ref in that situation in the second half or 
you know, towards the end of the game. And could they have done a better job? I don't know. But I, I bet you there's a lot of refs who wouldn't want to be in that situation of the way that game um, ended up being. Yeah, I mean, that's more than a fair point. And um, obviously, uh, you guys still had an NCAA tournament to play. Uh, but in another situation where it was just bad timing and a bad matchup, um, you guys were a five seed in the tournament and you get paired up against Murray State and they had a guy who, <laughs> I'm sarcastically saying this, they had some guy named Ja Morant and, um, and you guys ended up going to Hartford and it, it was the Ja Morant show that day. And, you know, Marcus Howard tried to do as much as he possibly could. Um, and same with, you know, guys like Sam Hauser, uh, Joey and Sakar Anim as well, you know, all down the line. But I don't think there was anything that was going to stop Ja Morant that day. And I mean, he, in terms of just, you know, going up against that kind of talent, I mean, I can't even imagine just what it's like going up against a guy like him that's just so well-rounded in his game and could just dominate uh, a game like that for a, for a team that is a mid-major. Yeah, and, and you know, the one thing that um, I think in our preparation we weren't uh, as ready for is, um, you know, we were – we were preparing for when he gets in the lane that he was going to finish, you know, he's going to try to dunk. He's going to try to get a bucket. Um, but you know, the whole start of that game, really, he was, he was getting in, he was, you know, he would get in the lane and he'd be looking out to pass out, to pass for threes, pass for this. He really wasn't looking to get his own. I mean, I don't remember how many he scored in the, in the first half, but I know it wasn't much. He, he got most of his buckets in that second half of the game. It was really just distributing the ball. And that's, um, you know, it's it's in the past. What happened happened, but yeah, definitely like they were a team that was clicking on all cylinders. And to speak to John Morant's talent, you know, like he he definitely made those guys play the best that they were able to play for sure. And you know, I mean, that's what great players do. That's why he's in the NBA. That's why he was almost Rookie of the Year. You know. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's still time to determine uh, Rookie of the Year, though. I mean, the NBA season's going to start up next month. Um, well, restart next month, and uh, who. You know who knows if he's gonna if he's gonna get rookie of the year. I, I hope he does. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not a Zion hater, but for his whole body work, I mean, if Memphis makes the playoffs, I gotta give it to Ja. I mean, I I can't understate that enough. But that's you know that's beside the point. Uh, but obviously that that game didn't go the way that any of you guys wanted to. But for you, you know, um, that being your last college game, um, just Take me into the locker room of the XL Center, uh, you know, after that game ended. Like, was it hard just taking that Marquette jersey off for the last time and coming to grips with the fact that, you know, it's all over? Um, yeah, you know, it, it, was, it was hard to take the jersey off. It was probably harder to accept um, the fact that, you know, that was kind of the closure of my career and that I was leaving. I mean, obviously, I'm not – severing friendships with those guys but you know I'm not I'm not necessarily their teammate I won't be you know getting ready for next season I won't be doing this the off-season workouts in the spring you know and kind of essentially just saying like goodbye to those guys as being teammates and stuff was really hard and by to the coaches you know because those are guys like you 
you know, you, you put in years of blood, sweat and tears together. And, you know, you build, you build relationships, you have trust with guys. And, you know, that's probably the hardest part is, you know, saying goodbye to those teammates and, you know, they, they want the most for their seniors. You want the most for you. And um, yeah, you know, it's, it's tough. It's definitely tough. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm very much, uh, I, I try to live in the moment. I try to accept my reality. Um, you know, we, once we were in the locker room, I can't control the fact that we lost the game. I couldn't control the fact that I was a senior and my season had just ended. So I, I was trying to see the positive, but it, yeah, it was just really hard not to get a little choked up and, um, you know, emotional saying goodbye to all those guys for sure. And, uh, um, you know, say one of those teammates you had to say goodbye to was Marcus Howard. And, um, you know, we spoke a little bit, you know, about how, you know, Marcus has done some incredible things um, with his scoring, you know, breaking the biggie single game scoring record, not once, but twice, um, including, you know, the second time being his own record. And then, you know, finishing as Marquette's all-time leading scorer. You know, he broke the all-time scoring record in the very first game of this season. So, you know, the entire season, he was just adding up, adding to it, and, you know, finishing the top 30 on the NCAA's all-time scoring list. Um, what was it like just, you know, um, with him being a year younger, just watching him evolve his game so much into being, you know, the – prolific scorer and the the prolific scorer that he became and a guy that you know you can make a fair argument that you know we're probably going to see in the NBA sometime next year and you know another argument I can make you know seeing uh number zero in the Raptors of the Pfizer form one of these days uh yeah you know just from the moment he got there you know he's he's a really hard worker you know he's always working on his game um his older brother Desmond actually is his, his basketball trainer. And then his dad um, at the time was a college strength and conditioning coach. But now um, I think he has his own kind of facilities and kind of just does his own thing. But yeah, I mean, he's a guy, super hard worker. Whenever he wasn't on campus working with us, you know, whenever he's home, you know, he's running hills at 5 a.m. in the morning. And then he's working out with his older brother, Desmond. And, you know, and his older brother, Jordan, is another really good basketball player. So they're just, you know, he, he's, his work ethic just doesn't stop. You know, he, he'll be shooting in the gym at midnight if he, if he feels like he needs to work on his game. That's just the kind of guy he is. Um, and then and especially, you know, seeing him grow as a leader over the years, kind of, you know, understanding how to, how to lead and how, how to make sure that you're able to give advice and, and uh, teach the younger guys with them being receptive to you because people have different learning styles. You know, you gotta, you gotta figure out what works for each player and um, you know, spent taking the time to figure that out for each guy and um, you know, just being who he is, that's who he is. You know, that he's a hard worker. He's a leader. Um, I, you know, I can't say bad things about him because there's just not much to say. I mean, besides he's just a great all around great guy, um, great teammate. And like, you know, obviously that shows in, in the career he had at Marquette, you know, and, and in improving each year, you know, it, he became a better player each year, which is hard to do, especially be when you're, you know, as a sophomore, you're starting and you're scoring significantly. And then your junior year, you set the biggie scoring record. Like, how can you top that? But you know, that he found a way to have a better year the next year. I mean, all, all just tremendous points. And again, Marquette is going to drastically miss him, but, uh, 
things are still looking bright uh, for this uh, for this team moving forward. You know, with some of the transfers that they've gotten and the talent that they're um, that they're gonna bring back. But you know, obviously, um, with your first year being away from the team, um, were you still able to you know follow along with what um, Marquette was doing? You know, on the court, and then um, also like just finding time to not only watch their games but just any Big East action um, um, any time you, you could possibly get, because I mean, I mean, I, I can only assume you, you obviously are still a, a basketball fan and definitely got to be a Big East basketball fan because, you know, the conference and obviously Marquette, you know, were such a big part of your life for four years. Right. Yeah, I know exactly. Um, I actually tried not to watch too much at the very beginning of the season because it's still, you know, it's so fresh for me that, I kind of wanted to distance myself a little bit and kind of close that chapter as I'm getting ready for the next part of my life. But definitely, um, you know, I tuned in for um, when they were in Orlando for the uh, their Thanksgiving tournament. Obviously, I watched their game against Wisconsin. Um, then I was at I was at the game on National Marquette Day, and um, you know, it is it's a joy like going back seeing, especially because you know those are the guys that I was just playing with, and you know, seeing those guys and you know, I, it, it just brings me joy to see them do well, and I'm always rooting for them. And, um, you know, the Big East is in a really good place with the type of basketball it has. Um, it's very competitive, very good basketball. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Like Marquette, I may have left Marquette, but Marquette will never leave me. That's for sure. That is, that, that, that is such a great, like, um, that, that is such a great phrase. Like, I mean, even for me, I mean, granted, I didn't play basketball at Seton Hall, but like, I mean, I just was so ingrained at, with that school. Like, I mean, yeah, I may have left there, but it's never going to leave me. Like, you know, kind of the same with you for Marquette. Um, but I know you touched on national Marquette day. And, uh, for those, for those listeners that I got that ha- don't really have a gauge on what national Marquette day is or what it's like. How about you fill them in on what it's like and just the atmosphere of it? Yeah, for sure. Um, so for starters, it's a it's a national holiday for Marquette. Um, and yeah, it's just, you know, that's when – that's imagine like a homecoming weekend for a football game, uh, but amplified. You know, it's – you know, the, the students, you, when it's the week of the game, you know, that's all anyone's talking about. You have alumni who are coming back from all over the country for this game. It's guaranteed to be sold out, filled to the max, super loud, super energetic crowd. Um, it's almost always a day game. And, yeah, I mean, it's just – it's it's incredible. Like, that that atmosphere on National Marquette Day is second to none for me. And um, I believe – I'm pretty sure when we beat Nova, that was National Marquette Day. Or, no, no, sorry, that wasn't. But, um, no, I mean, it's just – it's so hard for us to lose on – national marquette day because that is the biggest day for our fans they are so so energetic um the stadium the city of milwaukee really is just electric because the 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 whole city basically turns into marquette you know that's that's what it is and besides that it's it's kind of just hard to explain you really it's like the garden it's like the tournament you know you got to experience it because it is something incredibly special all of its own yeah, and, like, I will say this, though. I'm pretty sure it was National Marquette Day the second time you beat Nova um, on your yes. home court. Yeah, that, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah, that was uh, – I think that was their first biggest conference loss of that whole season. I think they started, like, 10-0, and and you finally um, 
handed them their first L. Um, but um, uh, speaking of Marquette, obviously they're they're known for having um, some of the uh, I guess flamboyant uniforms in all of college hoops. Um, um, so obviously you got your colors. Uh, you got white, navy blue, gold. Um, I've seen gray on occasion, but I'm in order just to stick to the usuals. Um, so those three and, and then baby blue were, you know, the four primary uniforms that uh, Marquette usually goes with, you know, of those four, which was your favorite to don? Yeah. Well, um, so for starters, it's, it's actually, we say championship blue, you know, um, we okay. try to not say, we try not say baby blue, uh, but uh you know, I, I always love the the navy blue ones. For I just for some reason I felt I thought those were always super slick. And um, you know, my freshman year was we had the old jerseys with the thick block stripes, and then my sophomore wow. season we switched over. So I I'm actually fortunate enough where um, you know I got I got both sets of those jerseys. Um, you know, I got to keep a lot of them, obviously. But yeah, we we had the gray ones. Um, Coach Rojo was not a fan of the gray ones, so we did not wear them very often. Um, yeah, for me, it's probably the navy blue ones, but they're all, I mean, they're, it was so, so sick to be able to wear those jerseys. I mean, especially just the history of it, you know, like, um, you know, there's a ESPN 30 for 30 short untucked, and that's kind of the the background of how Marquette started with these jerseys all the way back with Bo Ellis and, uh, the, the team that won the national championship. And since then, you know, just kind of that liberty to, you know, do something bold and have bold colors in your jerseys. And that's what we did. And, um, yeah, no, it was really, really enjoyable for sure. And plus, you know, when you have when you have four uniforms, and then every year when we played in the the N seven game, we get a a fifth a turquoise jersey. Um, you know, I, I got like twelve jerseys now that I can just you know I can give to friends, and I, I'll never run out of my old Marquette jerseys and stuff. But I'll be able to keep them with me forever. So that's definitely one of the the other advantages besides playing in um, you know some of the best uniforms uh, seen in college basketball. All right. Well, I mean, continuing on with these um, uh, quick hitters in a segment that uh, I like to call the cold seat, you know, because we're in the igloo. I mean, you know, the hot seat doesn't make sense. So might as well call it the cold seat. Um, Mm -hmm. Favorite arena to play in on the road in the Big East? Hmm. I would probably have to say uh, Creighton. Not not just because of the the winter, obviously, but, you know, there was always – always so packed super loud um our hotel was always right across the street so we we'd usually um just kind of walk in there and um I just really something about that atmosphere I always enjoyed playing there for sure all right um funniest teammate that you had oh man I gotta there there's probably too many kind of Andrew Rousey was a, was a really fun – him and Caden Reinhardt, actually. Oh, man. Those guys, like, were – I remember I made, like, a Photoshop of Ste- the Step Brothers movie cover and put their faces on it because they – those two together, you get those two guys in the room and you're going to start laughing. Um, no, Sakara and him, like, there, there's a team, like, we we love to joke around after, you know, like, ribbing each other and stuff. I mean, Sakara's another guy, really funny. Um, yeah, I don't even know. I don't even – I don't know if I could just say that there was necessarily one who who shined above the rest because we definitely there were a lot of funny guys over the years that I played with. And you and you know what, honestly, like that's what I came to realize as a guy who, 
you know, attended a lot of these games as a student, like, you know, made signs about y'all, um, roasted you a little bit. Um, you guys were the, had by far had the best sense of humor. I mean, there were like, it, like none of you got upset over anything. I, every, anything I said. And uh, fun fact, I remember Marcus Howard said I had the best heckle I've ever come up with. And I don't know if you remember this, but I'm going to take you back to the Big East tournament your sophomore year. And our section for that game was right next to your tunnel. So you guys were right next to us. And I see Sam Hauser. And knowing I'm bored, because Villanova is murdering St. John's at this point. Mm-hmm. I think they won by like 41 that game. It was, it was like 108 to 67. It wasn't fair. Anyways, um, I see Sam Hauser. And I'm like, yeah, Sam Hauser gets to the chopper. <laughs> and then, and then I mean, I'm already getting to smirk a little bit. And then out comes Marcus Howard with his with his hair, and and he's right next to me. Like I mean, he's literally about like right next to the guard railing, and and I'm right at the end of the row. And I go right up to him. And I'm like chit 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 chia, and every single one of you started laughing because everybody heard it. <laughs> Yeah, no, and Marcus too, like Marcus is the guy, like whether he's the butt of the joke or he's the one making the joke, like he's, he knows when something's funny and he will let you know. And yeah, like that's, that's just how our team is, man. Like we, if something's funny, even if it's at one of, you know, our, one of me or my teammates expense, like it's still funny and we're going to laugh about it. And yeah, I mean, definitely. And it, it, it makes it a little easier too. And you can laugh about that stuff instead of getting offended, you know, cause it just, when it doesn't, if you can laugh about it, it doesn't bother you the same way as if like you're trying to be serious and you're, you know, if you get offended by it, like you can just laugh it off and then like stay locked in for the game because it doesn't stick with you at all. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's always the way I saw things. I never tried to like do anything that would like legitimately piss someone off because I know how some guys are wired and they play better pissed off. Right. Right. (laughs) Like, like JP Makira for one, I learned my lesson the hard way. And um, I mean, my senior year, yeah, he, he he shredded us. Let's put it that way. I will not go into details. I still have PTSD from it. <laughs> Anyways, um, who, was, who was one guy that, you know, gave you just a very tough time just trying to defend him? Um, you know, like, obviously, there were a lot of great bigs in the Big East, you know, during your time. But um, is there one big that, you know, stands out? above the rest in terms of you know difficulty defending um you know i'd probably have to say uh angel delgado which is which for me is weird because i i always had played really well against him but that was also because like i knew he was so good and i was so like i was always amped up to to go up against him and battle against him so i you know i was always super locked in ready to go and um but yeah no he was a guy because he you know he could he could consistently get double doubles like you know every night if you needed him to and he's a guy like I I was more of a defensive player in my time so I I took pride in a team who had a a post player who was a a big like scored a consistent amount of points and everything so yeah definitely probably Angel Delgado and as well because you know he was also one of those guys like I remember the first time I, I got in my sophomore year against St. John's, it's towards the or against uh, Seton Hall, it's towards the end of the game. And like I get in there, I look at Angel, and Angel looks at me and he's like, Man, I'm tired. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, like, 
I'm ready. Like, I'm coming in here like, all right, like, it's time to go to war. Like, I'm ready to, you know, elbow this guy in the face if I have to. Then he just looks at me. He's like, man, I'm tired right now. <laughs> I just, like, probably the, the only words we spoke to each other that our entire college careers are just, like, you know, but definitely it, from then on, we just kind of had, like, I think a mutual respect. I mean, I, that's what I had for him. I don't know how he felt about me, but uh, yeah, definitely, like, I, I was always super pumped and super locked in to play against him because he was a good, a really good player, and I knew that if, if I could um, affect his, his night and uh, make him have a, a lesser performance than normal, that, that would help us win um, for sure. Man, Angel was a character, man. He was the only guy that I've ever met that's called me Ice T. And the funny and another thing with Angel, man, like um his double doubles became such a big thing. Like like I think he had already had 50 in his first three years that like we knew that like because of the Jumbotron that we got at Seton Hall, like like the big one that like came about like your junior year, like I'm pretty sure, like, at the time, it was, like, the biggest arena jumbotron in the world. Mm-hmm. So, like, every every stat that you can want is on there. So, what we would do is just follow it and then wait till it, it when he would get his 10th rebound, usually. Um, everyone would go absolutely ballistic when he'd grab that 10th rebound, and then the champ would erupt double-double. If you need a good example of, you know, that chant happening, um, the full Indiana Seton Hall game from that season's on YouTube. And it's like, I think like a little over halfway through the second half. I would definitely recommend watching that and listen, um, listening to that. Because like, you could hear it. It's loud. Highly recommend it um, if you got some time to do that. Um, now, um, pregame meal of choice. Oh man, um, probably uh, a lot of green veggies for sure. Um, some type of carbs, whether that's like pasta noodles or um, or like bread, and then some type of protein. But so my junior year, I actually went pescatarian, which is uh, vegetarian, but you eat fish. So I I had no meat my whole junior year. Um, really liked that. Um, but at some point, you know, I. The same way you'll you'll never be able to take the the Marquette out of me. You'll never be able to take the Wisconsin out of me. So I started uh, craving some red meat um, after that season and kind of dropped it. But yeah, you know, I would just try to get a, a balanced meal. Like our our strength coach was really good at teaching us uh, nutrition and all that. So I definitely would load up on vegetables and fruit and stuff just as much as um, you know carbs and protein and all that. All right. Um... What kind of music would you normally listen to? Like, you know, songs, artists that would get you, you know, in in the mindset and getting ready to play? Um, you know, anything that just kind of had like an aggressive energy to it. Like, I remember my, my software that was Rage Against the Machine. Oh, there we go, baby. Yeah. yeah. Like that would just get me in the zone. But, I, you know, I'd have to switch it up because I would. I was the type of guy where like when I found like a few, like if I found a playlist that I really liked, I would just – I would use it. I would never stop using it until all of a sudden it just like kind of would stop doing it for me. Um, but yeah, kind of like that, like Rage Against the Machine. Um, oh, what are some of the, I, I can't exactly remember the others, but kind of that, that same kind of vibe of like Rage of the Machine, like, you know, it's got some energy to it. It's got some anger to it kind of get, especially cause you know, I had to be a really physical player, mm-hmm. you know, I was a screen setter, 
elbow thrower type of guy. So definitely, you know, anything that could kind of get me ready, ready for some, some physicality and to go to war would definitely uh, be on my playlist. All right. Um, you know, if you were to, I, I feel like you got to have one Rage Against the Machine song that's got to, you know, stand out to you that you like jamming to. Oh yeah. Um, I mean like killing in the name bulls on parade. Uh, we're to that. We're always, always this, guy, this guy gets it. This guy <laughs> gets it. Like, I'll tell you what. So, um, at Seton hall, our, our student run radio station, uh, when we're not doing sports broadcasts, we are, um, I mean that, which is very rare. I mean, most of our broadcasts for, you know, like other than basketball, almost I'm only a few of them are actually on the FM dial, but when we're, when it's not sports, it's, um, it's metal. And, you know, that's, I got exposed to, you know, rage and a lot of other bands because of it. Uh, so, um, you know, I think, I think our radio station SOU, um, for exposing me to that and rage. Oh my God. But, oh my God, bulls, like literally funny story. Um, yesterday my alarm went off. And literally the song that was on was Bulls on Parade. And I was literally, I was literally, I woke up and I was ready to like drop kick my fan. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. There's just, it's just all energy. And I actually remember now too, in New York, like I had, um, what was it? Like Tom Sawyer too by, um, what was it? Rush. And yep. like some of those songs too, just like kind of anything I could like, just kind of uh, like get ready to go with, you know, kind of get me in that mood was, was definitely you know, that's what, that was like, almost like my, my routine, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't get in that mindset without it. It was like, I'd listen to that. I'd put my mouth guard in and I was ready to, you know, I was ready to get hit in the face. I was ready to hit somebody in the face. All right. Uh, you a big headbanger though? Um, I mean, I, I kind of listen to all types of music. Like I, I played the cello as a kid, so I kind of got a taste for like classical and the appreciation for just about everything. I think, I think no matter what you you say you like and don't like like there's probably a mood you can be in where there's any type of music that could apply you know it kind of just depends on on what you're feeling like you know you know i i kind of agree with that and you know like along those lines i mean obviously you were exposed to like you know classic you mean your range goes from like classical to you know rage against the machine but yeah. <laughs> um is there is there any like guilty pleasure you know artist or songs that you like that you know you know you'll you'd kind of be afraid to say I'm like yeah i'm jamming to this um i don't know like i i'm a huge fan of the ramones but only like uh rocket to russia and road to ruin um that's something like I, I probably wouldn't blast that at a party, but like if I'm riding in my car, if I'm just hanging out, like definitely some music I can just like vibe out to for sure. All right, all right. Um, oh my god! Like I, you, you said something that was like triggering. Like the next question, it was about um, uh, oh, oh. I mean, now since you mentioned, you know, um how you photoshopped uh rousey and reinhardt on the Step Brothers poster um what would you uh, what would you say are um some of your uh all-time favorite flicks oh man um gosh i mean you gotta you gotta put like coach carter in there for sure okay. um major league is another one of my favorites I excellent really like film yeah but, but before you know the the character that charlie sheen plays it actually probably turned out being more like charlie sheen in real life than uh 
then we all what, realized that. What irony. <laughs> yeah. Um, besides that, I don't know. Uh, v for Your Vendetta is really good. Um, you know, just the, the acting in there and the, some of those sequences that V says in the movie are just imp like impossible to repeat. Um, let's see. Um, I'll throw Breakfast Club in there. That's another okay. one of my favorites. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, the 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 final Lord of the Rings movie, absolutely got to be in there. Um, it's called it's the Return of the King. Okay. It's, it's I know it because it's in there. I'm not just I'm not just trying to like you know BS my way out of this one. I it's Fair. legit on my list. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I like a lot of movies. Um, I tend to not be a super harsh critic. So unless the movie is like truly just horrible, I there's a pretty good chance I I won't hate it. Fair enough. Um, now, you know, like, obviously, you, you probably had to do a lot of flying around, you know, in, in the Big East, you know, especially going uh, to the East Coast uh, for some trips. Um, when you did fly, um, you know, how would you usually spend flights? Are you one of those guys that just sleeps through the flight or you need to keep yourself company for um, however long? I actually would read for, for pleasure. That's like, I I never read a read a book for fun until the summer before my sophomore year of college. And I, I was just like, Oh, like, let's try reading a Stephen King book. And I like, absolutely like loved it. So, you know, I would just, when we were on road trips, like some guys would sleep, some guys would like do homework or whatever. Um, but I would just like whatever book I was reading, that's like, that was like my main time to read because when I was on campus, you know, it's, it's practice class study. Um, but when, you know, when you're traveling, when you're on the plane, you don't really have internet. Uh, you kind of got to find something to do. And that was for me, like, I was a time where I could really just kind of sit down and, you know, spend some time reading and just not worrying about anything else. Now, I mean, you seem pretty well versed in movies, but so would you say you're more of a t movie guy than, you know, a TV guy? Um, I would say a fair amount of both. I, th I think more so towards movies, but I definitely have like my favorite, I know my favorite TV shows um, for Which sure. Are? um uh, sons of anarchy uh mad men um those are like the top two mad men's one sons is two um i'm a big fan of dexter but i never finished it unfortunately um that's pretty much it like i i watch a I, i'm one of those guys like because of netflix like i'll start watching a show and then i'll i just i'll like i won't finish it which is terrible because i Oh, Game of Thrones. That's another one. Besides the besides the last, you know, episode, basically, um, Game of Thrones was really good. Yeah, if you don't if you don't admonish the last episode of Game of Thrones, something is wrong with you, honestly. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, to, now that I've read plenty of books that have been made into movies, I realize that the ending in the book probably makes a lot more sense because there's just you know there's some kind of details that when it was made a show that. It just doesn't do it justice for sure. And but yeah, that last episode was uh was a a, a terrible way to culminate eight seasons that were just really, really good. All right. Um um speaking of things that you had a little bit of displeasure with, um what would you say if there was anything you could cherry pick in terms of you know, maybe might have had an embarrassing moment or something odd happened to you during your college career. Um, is there anything that comes to mind? Um, 
one time my senior year, we it wasn't our exhibition game. I forget we were playing, but it was some like some you know it was kind of one of those warm up games. You know, like you're you're expected to win by like thirty some points, and I had just gotten into the game. I, I was ice cold. They were on a fast break. I was one of the guys back, and this guy is going at me with a full head of steam and just crosses and. Me being ice cold, I try to step, and I just completely cross my feet and end up just eating shit right there. <laughs> and there. Yeah, that that was bad. Oh, another time, um, actually, Biggie's tournament my sophomore year, um, Desi Rodriguez dunked the crap out of me, but I took a charge. I was in the circle. It was a block, but they called it a charge, so that it kind of negated his dunk on me, but I still just got, like, absolutely, like, he just rose up right over me. I'm standing there, I fall down, and he just yams that thing in there. And I looked at the ref, and he, he called the charge, and I was literally, I was just like, thank you, thank you, God, because otherwise I would have just got absolutely posterized during the Big East tournament in yeah. Madison Square Garden. You probably would have been on, like, every poster until the end of time, and they don't call him Duncan Desi for nothing. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, no, no, he was, a, he was a heck of a player. But, yeah, I'm really happy because I've, Definitely probably would have seen a, a picture of that or something on a poster the next time I was playing at Seton Hall. <laughs> yeah, I mean, chances are I would have been I would have been the guy that would have put that on a poster. <laughs> yeah, well, I, that, I wouldn't blame you. I wouldn't blame you. <laughs> that was that. I mean, listen, man, that was my job. Uh, the sign I had made about you my senior year, I said uh, because of the milkman, you know, like I said that you think chocolate milk comes from brown cows. <laughs> it doesn't. It does not. Shockingly. Wow. Like, I mean, listen, I mean, just, it's, like, most of the time, it's, like, I just do lighthearted shit, like, like, it, it's my, this just my, like, like, I'm not trying to make anyone mad, like, I'm, like, let's just laugh and have a good time, let's, like, m like, what in mind, like, I think I said about Sakari Annam cuts the line on Pretzel Day, office reference, <laughs> um, but actually, funny story, um, um, you, you, there were a lot of weird Marquette Seton Hall games. And one of the, the one I remember was, and I was broadcasting this game for SOU was new year's day, your sophomore year. And, you know, it, it was a tight game in the final minute. And I remember, I think we were down, we were down three in the final minute. Um, Kadeen got an and one to make it a one point game. And then Sonogo got the offensive rebound that made it. Um, and then he got fouled and sets the line for one and one. And then he misses that. And then there's a scramble for the rebound, loose ball. Then Kadeen comes up with the rebound. Fisher fouls him, knocks it down. There's another and one in the span of like four seconds. And like, that's, that's how the game ends, basically. Yeah. I, I vividly remember that and the, the practices afterwards because um, we were – Coach immediately implemented an, uh, a number of new uh, box-out and rebounding drills that were that were very unfun for us. But uh, obviously we, we needed them because, yeah, we just – yeah, the, like that just goes that, – like that speaks to fundamentals though. You know, like literally if, if we just would have boxed out like we were supposed to, we would have won the game. And because we – of our lack of having fundamentals there, we, you know, like you just described it. I mean, you guys ended up stealing that one from us for sure. But yeah, I remember the practices after that game was just physical as hell box out drills for like the whole first like half of practice. It seemed like. 
I mean, I mean, hey, you guys got us back 10 days later, and funny enough, it was a three-point game, and you ended up winning in overtime. But again, it was a, another wild game, and I don't know what it is about Seton Hall and Marquette in playing these crazy-ass games. Yeah, no, definitely a lot of always good competitive games for sure. I mean, not, never, never seemed to be, like, one-sided. You know, I mean, it seems like we'd always either – we'd always somehow get payback on one another. But definitely um, – you know, Marquette versus Seen Hall is always going to be a competitive game. And especially because of that Big East tournament game, I think for, you know, seasons to come that it will continue to be very competitive games. Well, I mean, was that your favorite matchup that you would, you know, you know, look forward to, you know, like, is that the team you would look forward to facing every, you know, every year Seton Hall, or was it a different Big East opponent that, you know, you kind of looked at and you're like, Hey, I, I like facing these guys. I can't wait to play them. Um, you know, Seton Hall is definitely one game I, I was always excited for. Um, Creighton would be another one. And then probably Xavier. I, I loved – I remember – I forget if it was my sophomore or junior year, but we had beaten Xavier at home on their senior night. And um, from then on, you know, I just – I loved beating Xavier for some reason because they, they played such a physical, you know, almost kind of like a bully ball style of basketball is what they tried mm-hmm. to, to play. And um, – you know, we, our team was often criticized for not being physical enough. So for us to be able to play and beat Xavier, who is considered like, you know, the big physical guys and for us to kind of be considered like a, you know, afraid of physicality as some people would put it for us to kind of come in there and, um, you know, prove ourselves and kind of silence the haters a little bit. Um, I always really enjoyed that. Well, I mean, you obviously, you know, you've been through the ringer in the Big East, you know, um, got to be a part of it, um, you know, as the league was finally starting to hit its stride, you know, the funny thing was um, the Big East tournament, you know, in, um, you know, since realignment, it didn't sell out at the Garden until uh, your freshman year at that championship game between Seton Hall and Nova. Like that was the first time they sold out for a Big East tournament game since realignment. And since then, it sells out almost every single session now. So the league has evolved and you, you were a part of that evolution and, and same with, you know, the growth of Marquette, you know, with, you know, Wojo taking over and taking that program now and they, you know, chances are they would have made the NCAA tournament for the third time in the last four years. Um, but um, overall, um, you know, try to put into work, put into words as best as you possibly can just, uh, what Marquette, um, well, the university and the basketball program has meant to you. And then also, um, you know, the role the Big East played in, you know, your evolution as, you know, a player and as a person, you getting, uh, getting you ready for the real world. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's, it's definitely a, as an 18-year-old, when you're trying to make this decision, you try to do the best job you can to pick a a school that fits everything that you need. Um, But, you know, you're really, you're you're thinking mostly about basketball. You're not necessarily thinking about like, you, you know, they tell you like, Oh, like it's a good education, but like realistically as an 18 year old, I was like, I knew that, but that wasn't going to be a deciding factor for me. Um, But going in there, you know, it was, it was really more than I ever could have imagined. Like I really found my, myself as a student I found myself as a leader on my team um just like everything I I didn't know I needed and wanted I I found there and it definitely like I would describe it as like 
probably the most fun, happiest, but also like hardest, most grueling four years of my life. But I mean, that's, that's how it is with college basketball. You know, it's, it's a positive experience. You know, like I smile laughing about all the times that I, you know, we're doing conditioning. That's just super hard and no one wants to be there. You just want it to be over, but um, you know, you have those memories, but looking back on it, I wouldn't change a thing. I'm super blessed, super grateful for the experience I had at Marquette and with coach Wojo and, and the Big East is is hands down just it's a it's an all around great conference. You know the leadership with Val Ackerman, um, the Big East commissioner. Um, she does a great job. Um, you know I think the conference cares about its teams. It wants the best for its players. It definitely um, is not just out there to get the money. They want to have us have have the players have a good experience. They want really good basketball to be played but they also want us to be set up for the rest of our lives with the skills we need to interact in the real world and um you know I think I got all of that at Marquette for sure yeah and now I mean now you're off to now you're off to grad school man I mean um yeah uh, before before I let you go definitely want to uh have you uh you know fill uh fill everybody in you know about you know I mean about uh, what you got your degree in uh, for your undergrad at Marquette. And obviously, you know, uh, you're going to be heading to Portland for grad school soon and um, definitely want to, um, ha- you know, have, have you, you know, have the opportunity to inform everybody, you know, um, about uh, what you're, what you're going to be pursuing out in Portland and um, where, where life's going to take you now. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, so I graduated from Marquette, Oh, with a double major in sociology and criminology, and I minored in political science. Um, after I've spent this past year, I, I took a gap year. Um, I, I took the LSAT. I've been at a, a Rex Nord Corporation in Milwaukee as a legal and risk intern there. Um, I'm going out to Portland to go to Lewis and Clark Law School out there. Um, it's it's a really well-renowned environmental law school that also has really good programs in legal writing and animal law and a lot of other stuff, but um, it was just the perfect school for me. I think it's a really good fit. Um, if anything, I, you know, I think Marquette and everything has prepared me really well for it. Um, but yeah, you know, I just, I'll be a future attorney, but I, I don't want to be a criminal defense attorney. So, so please, if you're in, if you're in um, legal trouble, I'm not your guy. I'm not going to be <laughs> rep- but, getting everybody out of jail. <laughs> I mean, listen, man, on the court you prided yourself on defense I can't believe you wouldn't do that I just you know like I really I have a deep respect and I commend the people who are you know the the world's criminal defense attorneys and family attorneys but um you know that with that job there's stuff that is is not so great that you're interacting with on a consistent basis and I for my own sake like I just I don't want to burn out after, you know, five or 10 years. I want to be able to do this career and, and love it until the day that I retire. And uh, I just know that for, for me, that's that I won't, I don't think I'm going to find that in, uh, in criminal law, but I'll, I'll be good. I'll be good defense for, um, for something else. It just won't necessarily be like, um, you know, like a, a, a jail or no jail matter. Fair enough, man. Uh, but Hey, uh, quality time spent with um, a fan favorite um, in Milwaukee and at Marquette, uh, former Golden Eagle center, Matt Helt. Um, obviously, you did great things on the court, but he's going to – I know just from the conversation he's had, just, just a 
in incredible personality on and off the court. And I know, I mean, obviously I said he did great things on the court, but I know he's going to go on to do bigger and better things off the court. Matt, uh, thanks for the time. Stay safe and healthy and best of luck, um, whatever you do. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Welcome back inside the Igloo, y'all. A big thank you again to Matt Helt for taking all of that time to reflect on his Marquette career. And through that interview, I hope that you actually got to see the amazing personality that I got to see. And, you know, the reason why these interviews are so long and why a lot of the conversation really isn't just about the game of basketball. You know, it's simple. It's because there's a lot more to life than just the game, you know. And like Matt Helt said, you know, he's moving on from his basketball career. Now he's going to law school in Portland, Oregon. And and what I realized in college from being friends with the guys on the basketball team at Seton Hall was it's simple. These guys are people too. It's not like they're some sort of you know, mighty beings that treat everyone that isn't in their inner circle as, like, second-class citizens. No. Like, they're just normal people. Like, if you go up and talk to them and strike up a conversation, chances are, you know, they'll partake in that conversation with you. They'll be more than happy to. Guy like Matt Helton's know the same, and well, I, I just realized I'm fumbled over my words there. The, a guy like Matt Helt is no different. And talking about, you know, so many things that weren't were basketball related, but can easily tie that back into a more personal sense, you know. Like, my goal when it comes to these interviews is for all of you to see the kind of personality that they are off the court. So, if and when you see them on the court or in old highlights or whatever the case may be, think about who they are as a person also you know you know you might go back and watch Matt Helt again and and if you see him you know in a high highlight from I don't know 2018 or 2019 or even 2017 I hope that you're going to be thinking to yourself huh you know, when he had this big game, I bet he was pr- rocking pretty hard to uh, rage against the machine uh, before he took the court for warm-ups. You know, it's little stuff like that, man, you know? And it, it's obviously, it's been really hard to have this show go on without any real major news going on around the Big East. 
but my goal is just just to continue providing more and more content throughout the summer until we finally get back into the swing of things with you know the academic year starting next month in August about the end of the month I should say so it's going to feel more like two months than one but on top of that you know there's obviously going to be no like actual college basketball but live basketball is going to be coming back soon and it's coming back in the form of the basketball tournament the annual event on ESPN's family and networks It is back and it's in a quarantine style where it's going to be limited from 64 teams down to just 24 and it's going to be held in one central location instead of in sub-regionals leading up to the final four and championship in that one location. Instead, it's all going to be in one place with all 24 teams there and it'll be Starting this Saturday, the 4th of July, what better way to celebrate the birth of the United States of America than with a quadruple header of basketball? The first live basketball to be played in this country on television since, guess what? The first half of the 2020 Big East quarterfinals, the the game that never got to be finished between St. John's and Creighton at Madison Square Garden on March 12th of this year. So we went nearly four months without any live basketball. And this Saturday, it finally comes back. And one of the teams that is expected to make some noise in the basketball tournament like they did last year Last year, they did it more unexpectedly. This year, they got more more of a target on their back as the number four overall seed out of those 24 teams. It is Marquette's alumni team, Golden Eagles. And on the next episode of the Igloo, I'm going to be taking a look at that team as well as other Big East alumni, specifically with the new Big East. But I'll be taking a look at you know, obviously, with Overseas Elite, they got DJ Kennedy, for example. I'll, you know, talk about him and countless others who will be playing in this tournament. But I will have an interview before that tournament starts on Saturday. And the interview I'm going to have is with a guy who will be joining Golden Eagles for the very first time for TBT. A guy who competed with Matt Helt in practice countless times at Marquette. Member of the class of 2017. Another former Marquette big man. And the guy who preceded Matt Helt as the starting center of the Golden Eagles, Luke Fisher, will be my next guest on the very next episode of the Igloo. So be on the lookout for that. So until then... I'm going to have that episode up on Friday. So again, until then, this is Timmy Ice signing off from the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Matt Helt and UConn. Welcome home.